Well, we're in week two of our series, The Garden, where we're talking about the fundamentals and the practices of spiritual growth. And last week, Brian talked about one of those principles is you need to have a vision. You need to have a vision for growth. And today, we're talking about what really is the root structure for spiritual growth according to the Bible. And I love what the gardener said, that if you want to know whether or not you have roots or issues with your roots, you just, you just check your fruit. That's how you know. So we're going to be talking about what that looks like today because there is this metaphor that shows up in the Bible in the teaching of Jesus. There's this time where Jesus is spending an extended period of time with his followers before he was going to go to the cross and die. And he's kind of reminding them of the basics and reminding them of the fundamentals. And among those, he uses this metaphor for spiritual growth of a vine and a vineyard and the vine and the branches. And we're going to be looking at this metaphor. We're going to start this week looking at it, but there's so much there that we're actually going to spend two weeks on this. So next week, we'll also be looking at this metaphor of the vine. And in a few minutes, uh, our volunteers, our offering volunteers are going to come and take up an offering. And you know, one of the things that we want to do in this environment, in the 65 minutes that we have every weekend together, is we want to root you in experiences that bring you closer to a connection with Jesus. That's the heart behind what we do. And we know that offering is one of those things that fuels ministry. It fuels the ability to do that in the incredible and creative ways that we can. We also know that sometimes offering comes at a time that's distracting and maybe throw you off from a, 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 a thought, a line of thinking that you're on. And so one of the things we're doing today is we're going to do an, a different experiment with offering. We've got some additional bags that are going to be passed in a few minutes, and we're doing that to try to accelerate the time that it comes. If you're a check writer, you might want to take your checkbook out now and get ready. Um, but those bags are going to be coming, and if you're here for the first time, when those bags come, you can just let them pass you right on by. We're just glad that you're here. You're our guest today, and we just, we just want you to sit and kind of take in what's happening. But, you know, in preparation for this, this weekend, uh, I got a chance to take a field trip, and I've been to wineries before, but I've never gotten to really hang out with a winemaker, and I got to do that at a vineyard that's actually right off of Coleraine Avenue. Who knew? Who knew there was a, a vineyard off of Coleraine? But Vino Clet is a vineyard. And I got to spend some time with Kreso Mikulic, who is the the winemaker. And he's from Croatia. And man, let me tell you, this guy looks the part. He's got the clothes, he's got the accent, and he knows his grapes. And so we got to hang out and spend some time exploring how he takes care of his vineyard and what does it look like, what's his role, and particularly what is the role of roots in a vineyard. And so we're going to take a look in a few minutes at a video that kind of explains that. But I want you to have the lenses that I had when I went into that vineyard. Because when I went into that vineyard, I was very much thinking about it through the lens of the vine and the branches metaphor that Jesus uses in John 15, where he says this to his followers. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. 
And those are the words that I had in mind as I spent some time with Kreso Mikulic. So I want you to take a look at this video. We're here at Vino Clet. It's a winery on the west side of Cincinnati. I'm here with Kreso, who's the owner of the winery. How long have you been, been here? Uh, about 30 years. 30 years. And you were telling me earlier that in those first couple of years, you, you weren't very successful in terms of things growing, right? Uh, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. And the first year I put 60 uh, vines, they died. Next year, 160, they died. I said, well, I had to look it in books, you know, what I'm doing wrong, you know. And finally, I find out on this climate, I need uh, Lambrusca grapes of French hybrid. And I did have successfully planted, you know, third year 500, and next year 2,500, and coming to 10,000. So 10,000, you now have 10,000 10, vines yeah. just like these right here. Just, just like this, you know, 10,000. This year grows, you know, this is, you know, grow last year. Okay. And this is, you know, shoots, we call it. You know. So this is a year's worth of growth. This is, yeah, growth. Right here. And on this batch, you know, it's a grape already for next year. Okay. It's a grape start in um, August for next year. Really? And how yeah. important then, I mean, obviously it's very important, the yeah. root structure. Yeah. How does that play into the growth yeah. of the plant? Roots on grapes you know, go to 50 feet. 50? 50 feet. Wow. And also deep. And they find water down. Mm -hmm. And why they don't like it too much in you know, rain? Because you know, they know the down there are water. Okay. And they find it. How long would it take uh, a root system to grow that deep? It's about uh, maybe 10 years. 10 years? 10 years. Okay. Yeah. When you plant in grapes, you know, three years, you don't have nothing uh -huh. because roots is not enough, couldn't support. Right. If you have uh, lots rain, mm -hmm. roots doesn't go deep because they know they will get you know, every year moisture. But if you don't have rain and during summer, roots go down themselves, you know, and try find water. Okay. Actually, grape like sun. Mm -hmm. right. They like more sandy soil. Mm -hmm. No, rocky Sandy. soil. And, rocky. and like, you know, a good drainage. Mm -hmm. So the basis of success for any of these vines yeah. out here yeah. is the depth <clears throat> of their root system. Yes, they're correct. rooted, they're yes. going to do better over time. Correct. For good vine, you need three things. Okay. Soil. Soil. Sun. And winemaker. So, so tell me about the winemaker. Because if I were to ask you, define yeah. your role in the vineyard, how, how would well, you describe that? When everything you know in vineyard in making wine is time. Time. What time needed you spray? What time you need it, you know, cultivated down? What time you will pick up grapes? Uh -huh. So how frequently are you spending time with this vine right here? Every day I go through vineyard. Every day. Every day. Twice. Every day you hit this vine twice. Twice. Because you know, the best fertilizer for wine. It's your shadow. They love it that you touch them. Mm. Without human, grapes couldn't exist. So say, say that again. You said the best fertilizer for this vine. It's your shadow. Is your shadow as the gardener. It, it's like, you know, wife. You know, you have to take care, you know. If you don't, you know, you lose it. Absolutely. You have to prune them. You have to put, you know, posts. You have to put wires, you know. You have to tie them, you know. You spread them, you know. Mm -hmm. You don't want, you know, put together because it doesn't have enough sun. Okay. You want, you know, spread the spread sun out. go through and wind go through. Mm -hmm. So you go through yeah. and you train each of these vines. Each vines. And the key in that seems to be, if I were to use another term, it's relationship with the vine. Oh yes, correct. Yeah. So you have yes, a relationship yeah. with these. 
with Correct. every vine out. Every vine out. And why are we cutting, you know, this? Because if we don't cut it, you know, will be too much grapes. Okay. And uh, finally, doesn't have enough roots, couldn't support, mm -hmm. never died. So again, it goes to the roots. There, to have, roots, there yeah. have to be roots to sustain oh, that growth. Absolutely. Okay. Root system have to be uh, very, you know, good and healthy and strong and spread. Okay, so thank yeah. you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much you're for welcome. your time. You're welcome. Welcome. I had fun hanging out with Creso, man. You can clap. He's a great, great guy. I mean, just one of these Renaissance men. So, like, the guy is an engineer by trade, and he said that the vineyard is his hobby. And so he asked me if I wanted to know how to make a small fortune in wine. I said, yeah, you know, you can tell me. He said, well, you start with a big fortune. That's how you make a small fortune in wine. So um, just, just a witty, witty guy, but so many profound things that he said. And, and just when you pull up to the vineyard, when you pull up to Vinoclet, it's actually two miles from Mount Rumpke. It's two miles from the Rumpke dump. And you want to talk about just the contrast of driving past the Rumpke dump and then a couple miles down the road hanging a left into the Garden of Eden. I mean, it's just beautiful. The order of the vineyard is just amazing. And just when I looked at the sweeping view and the order of the vineyards, it really struck me that this is the core principle that Jesus was going after in this metaphor of the vine. The core principle, the main idea that Jesus wanted us to get from this, I believe, is that people grow in great environments. People grow in great environments. And Jesus is saying that a rooted relationship with him is the best environment for spiritual growth. You know, I've been thinking about our Cincinnati Bengals. How about them Bengals? How about them Bengals, right? And, you know, I've been thinking about them as I think about how people grow in great environments. I got to imagine that after the Denver game, the locker room for the Cincinnati Bengals was not a good environment. I'm just going to take a guess that it was not good. You know, all kinds of bad memories from last season coming up again. But there's something that changes when you start to win. So the next week, they take it to Green Bay. Nail biter, but they pull it out. Then the week after that, take it to the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers. Another nail biter, but they pull it out. And then the, the week after that, Cleveland Browns, they pull it out. And then last week in Baltimore, did they not take it to the Ravens? I mean, that was an awesome game. It was an awesome game. They did, however, earn a new nickname. I hear that the Bengals are now called the Cardiac Cats. I think that's a good, that's a good nickname for them because, man, they're taking it to the wire. But, but it's just this principle that we see in anything in life, good people. People grow in good environments. It's just a natural principle. And Jesus is getting at what the good environment is by a word that's repeated eight times in just eight verses. We read eight verses of John 15. There's more there. But in those eight verses, Jesus repeats the word remain eight times. Remain in me, he says. Or he'll say, let me remain in you. He's repeating this word. And I think what Jesus is talking about when he talks about remaining is being rooted in a relationship with him. I think remaining is a great picture of a root structure for spiritual growth. And I just want to say that when I talk about remaining in Jesus, I'm going to be using the specific name of Jesus as opposed to a broader definition of God because Jesus is talking about himself in this principle. This is in the midst of a training session he's having with the people that he's been building into, and he's having it with them before he's going to go and die on the cross. But the Bible teaches that Jesus was God in the flesh and that the reason he was going to go to that cross is to be the, set, the substitute for the, for the crimes that I've committed against God, the things that I've done that have violated God's law, God's principles. And Jesus was going to take the hit for me and for you, and he was going to die in my place. And the Bible records that three days after he took that hit, he rose again. He rose again and that he's alive. And in fact, 
in the verse right before this, the chapter right before this, Jesus is communicating to his followers that after he raises from the dead, he's going to leave the earth, but that he's literally going to send his spirit to have a vibrant, living, ongoing relationship with his followers. And I know that maybe all of us aren't at that place of believing all of that. I think it's important, though, to frame that around the words of Jesus, because that's what he saw in mind. He was looking past his death, he was looking past his resurrection, and he was training his followers for a lifetime of spiritual growth. So when he talks about remaining, he's talking about being rooted in this relationship with him. And the cool thing is, we don't have to do anything to earn the opportunity to connect with Jesus. We simply receive by grace. We just receive by faith what he did on the cross. However, just like any relationship, the depth from there and the fruit that we experience from there is connected to how connected we are on an ongoing basis in that relationship. So you can, you can believe and you can just kind of be at a place where saying, hey, I'm in the right relationship with God through faith. But if you want to grow, and that's what we're talking about in this series, if you want fruit in your life, then there's a relational connection that that implies. And I want to say that that relational connection is a discipline that we can train in. It's a discipline that we can train in. I think oftentimes discipline is seen as a dirty word, particularly when it comes to spiritual things. We think discipline means I'm trying to do it on my own. That's not what I mean by this. But I believe that Jesus is giving his followers, and by them, us, he's giving his followers, those that believe in him, some tools that we can use to actually stay rooted in that relationship. And training is not a dirty word. As a matter of fact, later on in the Bible, there's a guy named Paul who was connected relationally to Jesus, and he was training a guy named Timothy on what that looked like. And he says to Timothy these words. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He's saying here that you can train in a relational connection with Jesus. You can train in that. And it doesn't mean you're training to do good things to earn his approval. You've already got that through grace. All you have to do is receive that. But what he's saying here, and I know this is true in my own life, there is a discipline to growing in the relationship with Jesus. And actually, if you want to think about what he says here, you might think about it this way. You can train in active dependence on Jesus. Sounds like an oxymoron. Let me say it again. You can train in active dependence on Jesus, an ongoing dependence Meaning I'm not the source of what's happening, but I'm actively depending. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about the word remain. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about three things that I see in this metaphor, three ways that we can stay rooted in Jesus. We can stay rooted in that relationship if that's what we desire. If we desire fruit, if we desire growth, it's about being rooted in relationship with Jesus. And I want to give you, for each of these things, I want to give you a practice. I'm going to give you something you can actually go home and practice to train in this rootedness with Jesus. And the first one is we can root ourselves through time with Jesus. We can root ourselves through time with Jesus. I love what Creso said. He said the best fertilizer for the vine, the best fertilizer is the winemaker's shadow. That time with him, time with him, as these vines spend time with him, that's the best fertilizer for growth in them. And the same is true when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. The best fertilizer for spiritual growth is rootedness in a relationship with Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying in John 15, 5. Let's read that again, where he says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's given us the relational connection between us and him. He says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And then in case the first part wasn't clear, then he kind of repeats himself and says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is he saying? He's saying that there is something rooting 
about being in relational connection with Jesus, being in relational connection with him. And he's saying that happens as we remain, as we stay rooted in relationship with him. And I want to talk about a practice that you can apply to grow in this ability, to grow in the ability to stay for longer periods of time in a rooted relationship with him. And again, this isn't that we do it all on our own, but there are some things that we can do to respond to the relationship that's already there. You know, when I think about this, this idea of time with Jesus, I think about it in the context of relationships in my own life. So I think about it like in the middle of the day, picking up the phone and calling my wife. If I pick up the phone in the middle of the day and I call my wife, I'm not establishing a relationship at that point. It already exists. But I'm reconnecting to that relationship. And the practice of prayer is the same thing. The practice of prayer is a way that we reconnect to the relationship that already exists if we've received Jesus through faith. Prayer is a way that we can connect and spend time with him. And, you know, one of the things that I know is prayer oftentimes gets a bad rap because we tend to think about prayer and put it in a box. We tend to put it in either the box of ritual where, oh, well, that's that thing I do when I go somewhere. Like, I go somewhere and I might pray at that place, but I don't necessarily take that anywhere else in my life. Or we put prayer in a box when we feel like, you know what, prayer is just this one-sided thing and I just do it to check a box. Maybe there's someone in the cosmos listening, but I'm not really sure. But what Jesus is talking about when he says rooting ourselves in time with him and remaining in him is a vibrant relationship that actually does go both ways. And I'm just going to tell you some practices that I've found to help me connect relationally through time with Jesus in prayer. One is just the discipline of journaling. Spending time actually writing prayers to God. You know, one of the things, if you were to look at my journal, you would see most of my entries, not all, but most of my entries have the tone or the context of being prayers that I'm writing to God. And one of the reasons I do that is because it focuses me. It brings me back into awareness of, of, of the fact that Jesus is already there, that I already have this relational connection. And so it's a way for me to refocus on that relationship. But another way that you can do that that kind of still doesn't relegate it to a ritualistic thing that you just do at a certain time, something I heard from a friend of mine, you can actually engage Jesus as you walk through your day. You know what this might look like for you is if you're like me, you live and die by your, your, your phone. You live and die by the appointments on your phone. You got your Blackberry, your iPhone, whatever it is. And one of the things that you can do as a discipline is just at the beginning of the day, what would it be like to just walk through your calendar and just say, man, this is the stuff going on in my life today. And, and Jesus, I want to invite your wisdom into the meetings that I have. I want to invite your creativity into the things that I have to think through and determine. I want to invite your leadership capability, all the things that you have. I want to invite you into these appointments and these experiences that I'm going to have today. And you can actually take that even further. And what would it be like to, in the same way that I can check in with my wife for a quick five-minute connection on the phone, what would it be like maybe right before that meeting in the afternoon that's going to be tough because there's some conflict and some things that need to be worked out? What would it be like to just say, hey, I'm walking into this meeting, and Jesus, I'm just asking that as I walk into this door, you just give me ears to hear the way that I should hear. Would you give me patience? Would you give me sensitivity? And God, if there's a third option I'm not necessarily thinking about, then just, like, make that clear. I mean, these are ways that we just invite the presence of Jesus in our lives, and we root ourselves every time we do that. You know, when I think about the discipline of prayer, I think it's part intention and part attention. Intention in the sense that if you don't do it, you're never going to be connected. You can't expect a connection that you never engage in. But by the same token, if all I do when I connect is just say, hey, here's my list of things, I miss the opportunity to hear what Jesus might want to say and respond in response. And so it's part intention and part attention, but we root ourselves 
through this relational connection called prayer. Another way that we can root ourselves, another thing that Jesus seems to be getting at in this metaphor is that we can root ourselves in the words of Jesus. We can root ourselves in his words. One of the things that Cleso said is he said, it's not uncommon for a winemaker to go through the vineyard and actually talk to the vines, to talk to them, or even to play music and sing to them, because there's something about the words, again, they just seem to respond to human presence. And so one of the things that he would do is he'd walk and he'd talk to the vines as if they were individual people that he knew, individual vines. He knows them all. And those words are like nourishment. And in the same way, what Jesus, I think, is getting at in this metaphor is that the Bible is nourishment for us as vines. The Bible is called, in so many places in the Bible, the Word of God. It's called God's Word. Or you might hear people talk about it in terms of the words of Jesus, that we can follow the teachings of Jesus. And these are all different ways of saying what I think is true. And that's that the Bible is not given for information. This book is not given so that I have more information about God. That book is given to facilitate relationship. To facilitate relationship and know the heart of God and know who Jesus was when he walked the earth and know the things he valued, know the things he promised to me. It's a relational connection with the very words of Jesus. I think this is what Jesus is saying in verse 7 where he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. He's saying that there is a power, a nourishing power that comes from the words of Jesus that we take in. When we read the Bible, there are powerful things that happen as that word gets in us, and it actually can change us. It can transform our lives. And there's a practice that um, has been just a, a key tradition for so many people who have followed Jesus. And it's one that I want to grow in myself. And I would say it's something that really, at first, is kind of hard given the fast-paced culture that we live in. But there's a practice of biblical meditation that I think is something that can be very, very powerful in rooting us in the words of Jesus. And I want to make a distinction that when I use the word meditation, I know that it has connotations of Eastern cultures and Eastern tradition, traditions, and I'm not judging those traditions. That's not what I'm saying in this, but I want you to know what's different about biblical meditation in those traditions. As I understand those traditions in the time that I've spent re reading them and even engaging in some of them, I just know that at the end of it, the goal is emptying. That the goal, if I were to define the goal of Eastern culture's meditation, it's to empty the mind. It's to get to this, get to this place where you're kind of clear and you can kind of sit and be in a place of silence. Not, and again, I'm not judging. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But biblical meditation, when that word is used in the Bible, it's just used in a different context. So I would say that if Eastern cultures define meditation as emptying, biblical meditation is really about filling. It's about filling our, ourselves with the very words of God. And the way that I like to think about it is, you know, I have had the privilege of having dinner at Boca. Anybody been to Boca? Good, good food. Like, I mean, amazing. Best meals I've ever had. I mean, just incredible. So I've had the privilege of going to Boca. I have also had the privilege of going to Mickey D's. <laughs> Nobody wants to join me on that one. But I, hey, you know, I, I go to Mickey D's sometimes. I just need to have a quarter pounder with cheese. I just need it. It may not be good for me, but I'm going to get it. But is it safe to say that if you were to go to Boca, or you were going to McDonald's, you might prepare a bit differently for those eating experiences. And even in those experiences, you might treat the food a bit differently. Am I right? Am I right? And so for me, when I went to Boca, I was not in a rush. And part of the reason I was not in a rush is because if you've ever been to Boca, you know how much it costs. I wasn't sure I was going to come back. 
So I needed, to, I needed to optimize my experience with this great food. But not only that, but there's presentation that goes into the experience at Boca that just isn't a part of the Mickey D's experience. I mean, I'm, you know, it's just not a part of it. I didn't have to unwrap anything when I went to Boca. I mean, it's just, it's just different. It's just different. And when I'm sitting in that experience at Boca, I'm taking my time because I really want to taste the flavors and I want to observe the presentation of the food because everything, that's all tied into the experience. I don't do that when I go to McDonald's. And so biblical meditation for me is kind of like sitting at Boca. And it's kind of, instead of reading the Bible for volume, trying to just pound through stuff, it's slowing down and maybe chewing a little bit on a sentence that just seems to be jumping out and thinking a little bit more about why is that jumping out to me? What is it about the presentation of these words that might be having an impact, that might speak to a situation that I'm dealing with right now? That's what biblical meditation is. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, if my words remain in you, then there's something that happens. There's a power that happens. And I think that's true. And so my encouragement to you on this one is I actually want you to try this one at home. One of the things we're doing every week in this series is in the program, we're giving you some exercises. And the exercises for this week really focus around this discipline of biblical meditation. So if you didn't get a program on your way in, I encourage you to get one on your way out because we really want to encourage you to try these things at home. Biblical meditation is something you can do. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to be a guru. It's just really slowing down and taking the time to chew the food, to chew the words and actually think through what they might be saying to you. But when we do that, it's a rooting that happens. We get rooted again relationally because, again, the Bible is not given for information. It's about transformation, and it's to facilitate relationship with Jesus. And so we can root ourselves in the words of Jesus in the same way we can root ourselves through time with Jesus. But there's a third thing that Jesus kind of gets at in, this, um, in the metaphor. And in the verses we read, it's kind of implied, but he says it a little bit more explicitly later. Not only can we root ourselves in time with Jesus and through the words of Jesus, but also through obedience to Jesus through obedience. You know, I don't think that Jesus spent and went through the effort of kind of painting this beautiful metaphor of the vine for us to simply see it as great information that we never do anything with. And one of the things that Creso said to me when I was at the vine, he said he trains every one of these vines, that there is a directional thing that he'll do. And I would watch him do this. He'd take certain leaves off and he would point other branches in a certain direction because that was better for them to grow. And you could see where things had been tied off because he was trying to point them in a direction and he wanted them to grow in that direction. And that is what it looks like when we're obedient to the words of Jesus, when we're obedient to the promptings that come from time with Jesus. It's us growing in the direction that looks like fruit. And so we're rooted to the extent that we are in relationship. And we're obeying, we're actually following through on those things. And, you know, later on, Jesus says in John 15, he says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And I remember when I first read those words, I was actually kind of offended. I was kind of offended because it sounded to me almost as if Jesus was saying, if you do what I want you to do, well, then I'll love you. And that just seemed to fly in the face of what I thought grace was all about and this free gift and love and I can't earn it. It just seemed to fly in the face of that. And so one of the things that happened when I was chewing on those words is I started to get a different picture. And instead of seeing it that way, which is not what Jesus meant, I started to understand that what he meant is closer to something that we see kind of listed and mentioned in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. There's a section in the Bible in the Old Testament called Psalms and it's all these poems. 
And there's a verse in one of those poems that has kind of been one of those life verses for me. This is what it says. It says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And then I think this is what Jesus is saying. It's not that if you do all the things that I tell you to do, well, then I love you. It's this. It's that the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you spend time with him, and the more that you chew on the words, let's be clear, there will be boundary lines that are drawn in your life. There will be boundary lines that are drawn where you recognize that the way that maybe you've been approaching relationships is not consistent with what's going to bear fruit. Or there'll be things that you see in there that say, man, I've been doing business a certain way, but this, this, this principle in the Bible seems to be against that. And boundary lines begin to get drawn in your life. And what that verse in Psalms is saying is those boundary lines are actually preparing you for the best fruit. These are the ways that Jesus actually trains us. He trains us through these boundary lines. This took on just even clearer significance to me the day that my wife and I realized that we live in a gated community. Now, you might be wondering, well, what gated community are you talking about? Well, it's actually not our neighborhood. It's all the gates around our house because we have a 14-month-old. So, so we live in a gated community now all of a sudden. And one of the things I know, if you have a kid, you know this, those gates in your house can be a pain in your rear as much as it is in the child's, right? I mean, it's like, gosh, I forgot the gate was here. I'm kicking the gate in the morning because I forget. I mean, all these things happen. But here's what I know. I actually saw this happen with my son. When we put the gates around the house, we were able to give him a little bit more playroom, a little bit more kind of space for him to explore. And actually, he's more free with the gates in place than he would be if they weren't there because there are things that could hurt him. We would have had to stay closer to him. There would have been way more kind of one-on-one correction. But because there have been some boundary lines put in place, he now has more freedom than he had without those boundaries. And obedience works the same way. I know it doesn't feel like it at the time, but that's what obedience does over time as we're rooted in a relationship with Jesus. And so that's what he's talking about when he says, if you obey my commands, you actually remain in my love. Because your boundary lines fall in pleasant places. So how do you practice this one? How do you practice obedience? Well, you might say, well, just like read the Bible and do what it says. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. But I want to give you another way, a way that certainly God has been teaching me about obedience. And that's, I think every time I submit myself to a human authority, that actually teaches me a little something about obedience to Jesus. So one of the practices to think about is what, what does it look like for you to submit yourselves to another person? You know, believe this or not, um, actually for those of you who are here for the first time, there's actually another guy who does most of the, the teaching on the weekends, and he's actually our senior pastor. His name is Brian. And um, Brian, for those of you who know him, believe it or not, Brian and I don't always see eye to eye on things. I know that's shocking. I know it's like... Chuck and Brian could actually be different. I know that's crazy, but just, just go with me. There are actually some things that we don't see eye to eye on. And here's what I know, though, about Brian. I know that Brian is rooted in a relationship with Jesus. I know that he's rooted in a relationship with Jesus. I know he's growing in that relationship. I know that that is a priority in his life, to be relationally connected to Jesus. And here's the other thing I know. I know that Brian is in my life as a spiritual authority. And so what that means is there are some times where we don't see eye to eye, where maybe it's a thing where it's, it's fine, we can have a different point of view on that. But then there are some other situations where at the end of the day, Brian needs to make a call. And when Brian makes that call, regardless if it's the call that I would make or not, I slot myself under his authority. 
And every time I do that, I think it helps me understand more of what it looks like to be obedient to Jesus. Because if it's a person or if it's Jesus, if I'm the, I might be the only one on this, but it is hard to submit to the authority of another person. That's not an easy thing. I don't think that's a natural thing. I think the natural bent in all of us is rugged independence. But there is something powerful about submitting to another's authority. And every time we do that, it teaches us about obedience to Jesus. So who might, who might that be for you? It might be your boss. Maybe you just need to submit yourself to the authority of the person who may have more information than you, may make different calls than you, and you might not understand it. You might second-guess all of them, but there's a powerful principle for you to submit yourself under the authority of those people in your life. Maybe there's a relationship where you need to submit yourself to someone else's authority. You know, maybe you've been invited here by someone, and that person is kind of at a place where you just see fruit in their lives that you didn't see before. Maybe you've known them for a while, and you're like, man, I'm not sure if I'd buy into all this stuff. That's cool. That's cool, but if you see something in that person that you want in your life, slot yourself under their authority and be willing to learn what it is that's working for them. And when you do that, you're learning a little bit about what it looks like to be obedient to Jesus. And these are ways that we stay rooted. These are ways that we get rooted in a way that we don't any other way. And so the question would be, well, why? Why would I care about this? Why would I care about all of these things? It goes back to what we said before. It's because people grow in great environments. See, the assumption that I'm making, I'm, let me tell you, I'm not making an assumption that everyone in here buys into everything I'm saying about Jesus. That's, that's not an assumption I'm making. I know that we're at different places. Here's the assumption I am making, though. I'm under the assumption that you want a fruitful life. I'm under the assumption that no matter where you are in the spectrum, you're interested in a fruitful life. And what I'm saying is what I think is being taught to us through nature, through the God who created nature and the God who created us, that there is something about relational connection to Jesus that leads to a fruitful life. And if we want that, if we want that in increasing measures in our life, then we simply need to learn how to be rooted in that relationship. I had an epiphany about this recently um, through some things that had happened. One was, in talking with Creso, he told me about the potential of vines over time to produce fruit, and it blew my mind. I actually went online and I found some pictures. This is a picture of a vine in England, um, Hampton Court in England. And that, all of that greenery that you see is from one of these plants. It's from one plant. And in fact, this is seen as one of the oldest vines, and it's also one of the vines that they actually will cut off other pieces and let other people take it and continue to grow it. But Creso told me that in his recollection, this actually isn't the greatest vine that he's heard of. He said that there is a vineyard where there is a vine with root systems that are deep enough that the branches actually cover a three-acre area, a three-acre area, and in one season, all of those branches together produce 10 tons of fruit, 10 tons of fruit, which is just mind-blowing when you think about it, but I think that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 8 of what we read, let's go back to that again. Jesus says, kind of to sum this all up, this is what Jesus says about remaining. He says, this is to my Father's glory. Meaning that when you remain relationally connected to me, you actually know God more and other people know God more. That's what God's glory is about. And he says that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What does that word disciple mean? It simply means someone who has slotted themselves under the authority of another person. And what Jesus is saying is, when you slot yourself in relationship with me and you slot yourself through time with me, you slot yourself through my words, you slot yourself under me through obedience, there is unlimited fruit that can happen in your life. Unlimited fruit. 
Let me just tell you what fruit could look like. I know, I know what I want my fruit to be. This is, this is me. This is, this is true for me. I want to have the kind of fruit in my life that when I'm interacting with people, if they disagree with me, there's actually a gap between the time that I state my disagreement and the time that I hear the disagreement. I want that gap to be growing. I want to be able to be in relationships where people can have different opinions, and I don't judge them right away, but I actually can listen and understand and relate and connect and continue to learn. And I know that only happens when there's fruit in my life from a relational connection with Jesus. I'll tell you another one for me. Another one for me is I, I want to grow in the fruit of having my identity, my worth, rooted solely in my relationship with Jesus. So that I don't need a person, I don't need a job title, I don't need some relevant success to be the way that I define who I am. But I actually define myself through the relationship with Jesus. I'm growing on that one. Believe me, I'm growing on it. I'm not there. But that's what fruit can look like. Fruit in our lives can look like showing up at work a different person because all of a sudden the motivations that we would use before to make decisions are utterly different. And for some reason, the people who work for us actually enjoy working for us a bit more. That could be fruit. And there are a variety of different fruits that show up in our lives. And what Jesus is saying is the essence of all of it is a strong root system. If we want that, we need to be rooted. And the way that we get rooted is through relationship with him. A friend of mine has been helping me see just some, some principles around this. And the thing about this rootedness is that it starts with discipline. It goes back to what I said before. Training is not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word to actually carve out time to grow in your, in your prayer experiences. It's not a dirty word to actually carve out time to figure out what it looks like to walk through a day with Jesus, to actually carve out time to spend time in the Bible. That is not a dirty word. And it is the way that we can grow in a relationship that already exists because of faith. Again, this is not how you earn it, but you can grow in it. And what happens is that discipline hopefully moves to a place from discipline to connection. Where the motivation for connecting is not the discipline because I need to do it, but actually, you know what? There's a connection. There are some things that are happening in my life. There's some fruit that I'm experiencing that I wasn't experiencing before. There's some relationships that are growing in my life that weren't growing like they were before. And there's something that's happening through this connection. So it moves from discipline to connection, but then it moves from connection to obsession. From connection to obsession, where actually the rootedness in my life and the place that I find the most joy is through that relationship with Jesus. And that's the lens through which I experience everything else. You know what helps you be more generous? You know what helps you get rid of more of your income and not worry about what's going to happen? Rootedness in this relationship helps you do that. You know what helps you when your spouse doesn't actually do what you want them to do? You know what helps you not run in the marriage or actually not be disappointed every day? It's, it's this rootedness in relationship with Jesus. You know what helps you when we're in an economic downturn and you may lose your job, that may happen, but all of a sudden what would have maybe took you off the edge before doesn't? You know what helps you with that? Rootedness in a relationship with Jesus. This is what it looks like to bear much fruit, and this is the invitation that Jesus is offering to all of us. There's a guy in the Old Testament, same guy that wrote that, that poem that we talked about earlier. His name was David, and David was a king. And David, I think, is just a great example of a person who moved through this phase of discipline to connection to obsession. I mean, there are some words that he shares in these poems that he writes that just really illustrate the depth of his relationship with God, such to the point that he could actually be angry at God and question God on things and not care that that's some gonna, somehow going to lead to him being struck down. He was okay with that. But then there are these other times where he is just saying, man, I, I just know the most important thing in my life is this relationship. 
One of those times is in Psalm 84. These words actually inspired a song that we're going to hear in a few minutes. This is what David says about his connection to God. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. The courts would have been a part of the temple back then, a place where he would go to experience a connection with God. He says, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then he says this line that is just incredible. Talk about his vision for growth. This was his vision. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in this rootedness of relationship than a thousand elsewhere. And friends, I I want that to be true in my life. I want that to be true because I believe that there is a powerful thing that happens as I'm rooted in relationship with Jesus, that that is the source of fruit among fruit, fruit upon fruit, fruit upon fruit in my life, and that's what I want. So as the band plays these, these words, I just want you to think about this song. I just want you to think about what would it be like What would it be like if this was a statement that you would use to define the rootedness of your relationship and the fruit that comes from that relationship with Jesus? 